What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural side. From the makers of Five-Hour Energy. For more information, visit fivehourenergy.com. Calm. Take the baseline out. Uh huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox podcast. Before we get started, um, just really quick housekeeping note: I'm having on NBA Math's own Adam Spinella today to deliver our Eastern Conference trade deadline primer uh we got to talking on super bowl sunday and the podcast ran a good two hours and 45 minutes long because that's just how we roll um i'm going to split it into two for this reason uh because we don't want to make your ears burn with our terrible takes or at least my terrible takes so this will be split into two podcasts and this will be part one we're talking about um all the lottery bound teams so uh, apologies to the Detroit Pistons who fell out of the who are out of the playoff picture as of recording this, being in ninth place in the East, and we will have covered California knows that one moment can change your life. That moment you say I do, that moment you meet your baby for the first time, or even that moment you lose your job and your health insurance along with it. For those times when life changes, we've got you covered. Covered California lets you choose from brand name health plans, and you may even get help paying for it. Your enrollment period is limited. So find out if you qualify by getting free expert help at CoveredCA.com today. Covered California. It's more than just health care. It's life care. The playoff projected teams, the projected playoff teams as of now for you tomorrow, just a few days before the deadline, so you'll have plenty of time to catch up. And really quick before I get started with him, just want to remind you all to uh, please rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes. Hardwood Knox takes 10 to 15 seconds of your day. Andy and I... On behalf of him, we beg you, we implore you, uh, we really appreciate it. It lets us know that you're listening, lets us know that you like the work we're doing, helps us with exposure and everything along those lines, and we always do appreciate the support. And even the reviews are appreciated as well, not just the subscriptions and ratings. So if you can just take the few seconds of your day to hammer that out, we will be forever in your debt. But for now, let's hop to the Eastern Conference Trade Deadline Preview Part 1. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you this time without my incredible co-host, Andy Bailey, who we are, or I am excited to say, is prepping for the birth of his um, son, so I assume that that's an okay excuse to miss out on this podcast. We are, however, super stoked to be joined by NBA Math's own Adam Spinella, who you can also find at b-ball breakdown um he is the coach at 
I don't know why I'm blanking at this, but he is the coach at Jefferson Assistant Men's Basketball. Was- Washington and Jefferson's Assistant Men's Basketball Coach, excuse me. Um, but you can also find him at B-Ball Breakdown. He's a fast model contributor. And Coach Spins is just amazing in general. He's been pushing out these uh, trade previews for each and every team by video uh, over at NBA Math. You need to check those out. And I thought it was fitting then, since he's been doing all this legwork, that we would bring him on to wrap up our trade deadline preview coverage. And we're, we're going to be going through the Eastern Conference here. But first, the question that uh, everyone wants to know, Adam, is how are you doing today? This is a Super Bowl Sunday. How are you doing on this Super Bowl Sunday? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm ready to roll, watch the Super Bowl tonight. I am thoroughly rooting against the Patriots, so um, no, uh, I'm not going to hide that one from anybody right now. I am anti-Pats, but the trade deadline is less than a week away, and it's an exciting time of year because you know all of the the nerds out there like me just love to play around with all the potential trades the salary matching the hypotheticals of who could be teamed up with who and and it's a time where really it's it's hard to sleep at night because there's just so much excitement now as a, what's interesting about the trade deadline this year and maybe you can provide some insight to this as an assistant coach uh again at washington and jefferson what is their shit like Tyreek Evans not playing with the Grizzlies anymore because they're essentially waiting for him to be traded? We saw Miritich, and we're going to actually start um, with uh, well, anyway, with Miritich, we saw the Bulls kind of um, shut him down uh, before they traded him to the Pelicans. And uh, what is like, we didn't really see that before the All Star break. Like, what is the, are they just more worried than ever that someone's going to get injured and torpedo their trade value? Uh, and that all-star break, in essence, when the trade deadline moved back, you didn't think that far ahead. You just assumed you had the all-star break as your resting buffer. I was just very interested to see those things kind of happen where they haven't in years past. Yeah, it's it's asset management at its finest. I mean, it, for a lot of these teams, you take a look at Memphis and Chicago, the two teams that did it. They don't really have much to play for this season in terms of wins and losses. So having a guy like Evans or Miritich still in their lineup doesn't do much to move the needle forward. What they needed to ensure is that, you know, no freak accidents happened and that they were able to maximize their trade value. Both of them played incredibly well during their early stretches of the season and the front office just said all right there's no reason to risk it right now let's remove them until we can find the appropriate trade and make sure we soak every ounce of value out of them that we can um and that's kind of just where since we didn't get to record a podcast on the nicole miritich trade uh itself i i I wanted to know what you kind of thought of that deal um just to refresh it for everyone chicago picked up tony allen omir ashik um, who only has $3 million guaranteed in the third and final year that's left on his deal, which would be 2019-2020. Jameer Nelson, um, a top five protected, I believe, 2018 first-round pick, and then the right to swap second-rounders with the Pelicans in 2021. New Orleans, of course, received Nicole Miritich, and they exercised his $12.5 million team option for 2018-2019. And they got back, which I actually thought was a good piece to get back, its own 2018 second-round pick. Uh, from Chicago, which they actually traded to the Bulls as part of the Quincy Pondexter salary dump in late August. And that second-round pick could come in handy if they're looking to a dump uh, a Jinsa before this deadline or, or after it. And I just what, – what were your impressions of the deal for both sides? You could start wherever you want there. Yeah, I, I loved it for the Pelicans. Uh, anytime you can add a player like Miritich who stretches the floor, which is something that they really, really needed both this season and next year, that's going to be a huge win. 
you know, they'll deal with the number crunching a little bit later with how they go about retaining DeMarcus Cousins and, and all of that based on his, his recent uh, Achilles injury. But right now, the, the team is poised to stay beneath the luxury tax this year, which is what they needed to make sure that they did at all costs. And, and they picked up a, a really, really good offensive player in their deal. And I don't think they got you know, unfair value in terms of what they gave up. I mean, obviously, Dell Demps has proven that he's willing to part from first-round picks in the past. So uh, this should be no surprise that they're willing to give up one again to Chicago. But getting that second-round pick back is huge. And, and they were also to unload not just Oshik, but a couple of their other veterans like Tony Allen and Jameer Nelson which open up the space for the Pelicans to really just fill the re- their roster for the rest of the season with the type of players that help them most. Yeah, they already added Okafor. We thought it might have been Monroe, but he went to the Boston Celtics, which is uh, a good pickup for them. And uh, uh, they still have a roster spot now, I believe, because you got rid of Allen, who the Bulls plan on waving. Poor Jameer, ne- poor Jameer Nelson, though, um, goes from the most played point guard on the Nuggets last year to being waived so that they could have Richard Jefferson's corpse on the bench um, to lo- to the other day. De- there was a random game where Gentry brought Mike James off the bench before Nelson and Nelson still played more minutes than Mike James, but he just wasn't the first guard off the bench. And then now he's traded to a Bulls team that's going nowhere who as of now plans on keeping him. Maybe, maybe that will change. So just, I really feel for, for Jameer Nelson there a little bit, but I didn't have a problem with the Bulls did in this trade for the most part. I I have a little bit of an issue with the way that they seem to just be like, fuck second round picks. Like, we're just going to get rid of them. Like, that Pelicans pick, like, that could be, if they miss the playoffs this year, because there's a chance that still happens, that's like an early to mid second rounder, which isn't not valuable. And you would think uh, they learned their lesson after the whole Jordan Bell fiasco. Um, And even they they gave away their second round pick in that trade last year um, with the Thunder which not only did the Thunder then use to get Carmelo Anthony, but like that pick is going to be maybe 35, which is a choice to pick up a player. So that was my one qualm there for them. I didn't have an issue at all for the Pelicans because they created roster spots. Yep. Uh, you're probably going to make the playoffs. And Nicole Miritich has just been ridiculously good. And while he's not going to replace uh, Cousins' playmaking, I think he's going to give them more self-sufficient scoring and help them replace that than people realize. And this is the stat that I have to throw at you that I found watching Miritich. I would have thought he was shooting a good percentage on pull-up jumpers, but I never would have expected this. There are 100 players uh, who have appeared in more than 15 games this year and right. are attempting at least three pull-up jumpers per game. Nikola Miritich is third in effective field goal percentage behind Bogdan Bogdanovich of the Sacramento Kings, which, holy crap, and <laughs> Stephen Curry, yeah. who's at number one, which, sure. So I, I liked it for them. I agreed with everything you said there. But the second-round pick thing with Chicago, I, I know they can swap with the Pelicans in 2021, and if they don't have Anthony Davis at that point, that could help. But that was the one issue I had for them. Yeah, it, it irks me, especially because they could end up with one of the worst records in the NBA this season, and they don't have their 2018 second-round pick. Like, they already have traded it away. I think the Knicks have it right now. Yeah. So, you know, what what are you trying to do in terms of adding young talent? Like, okay, you've gotten, you know, a second first-round pick in this 2018 draft, which, you know, probably is going to be pretty good value for them moving forward. But especially when you have a G League team and you're trying to fill out your your roster with 
guys that are kind of swing for the fences type of players. Now is the time to do that for the Bulls organization. And just by giving up on second round picks year after year after year, they're not putting themselves in a position to hit a home run like Jordan Bell. No, not at all. And uh, I know a lot of people have talked about maybe they could next year, they could stretch Omer Ashik, but I actually think he could, his, you know, his contract, 11.3 million next season, teams could treat it as almost expiring because he's only guaranteed 3 million in 2019, 2020. That might be a valuable trade chip for them to take on another bad salary with a pick. I mean, if we, so if we move ahead to next year, you, you know, the Evan Turner contract, he'll only have including next year, two years left. Like some of those really bad deals from 2016, uh, you can name Alan Crabb, but I actually, the Nets still like him. They, they have this mm-hmm. infatuation with him. So, but like those contracts that were signed, they, they now Chicago becomes a primary dumping spot for that. So I do think they did a lot of good things here. The second round pick is the only uh, qualm I have. And uh, people, I wrote an article about an instant reaction. They were like, oh, it's just the middle of the second round pick. Who cares? And it's these are Bulls fans saying it. And I was like, well, you should care because you know yeah. what's happened with them in the past. So that was the Miritich trade in a nutshell. I'm excited to see how he fits with New Orleans long term. And if, you know, if DeMarcus Cousins comes back, you can probably get some minutes in those lineups with Miritich at the three. Or if you're going to bring him off the bench as your third big and just play him at the four alongside one of Davis or Cousins at all times, like that's going to be fantastic for that rotation as well. Yeah, they're in, they're in good shape both short term and long term. I'm I'm curious to see what type of money they throw at Cousins this summer to try to make that work. But uh, other, I mean, that's a problem that you're willing to have because now you have better talent on your roster. Right, and there's the the last thing I'll I'll let us say on this before we really move into the trade deadline preview is it it doesn't again he doesn't replace Cousins, but I think it allows the Pelicans to operate outside the confines of desperation. Whereas right now, it was almost, even with the injury, it was the Drew Holiday situation. No, I don't think, Cousins' market probably wasn't going to be particularly robust to begin with, just because not a lot of teams are going to have cap space. There are centers everywhere. Yes, it seems like there would have been a few teams willing to go the four-year max, but he's. He, I have to imagine he's lost at least half, or that his market is maybe slashed in half, and yet... You, you can't afford to get rid of him because you can't afford to replace him. Now, because you have Miritich, if he's going to cost you too much money or you don't want to pay market value or above market value, yes, letting him walk is tough, but you know that you still have that one-year buffer with Miritich at the four to say to Anthony Davis, hey, we're going to go into 2019 with a clear path to $25 million in cap space. We'll be able to get even more than that if we move on from Etwan Moore or Solomon Hill, both of whom will be – uh, expiring when we reach the summer of 2019 and perhaps that's enough to convince Anthony Davis to sign the designated player exception ex- extension excuse me before he enters free agency and you have to if you're him and you look at how Butler was moved from Chicago so they could kind of avoid a potential situation with that or Cousins himself being moved from Sacramento so they could avoid the designated player extension and then seeing Cousins get injured uh, in New Orleans and also seeing what John Wall is dealing with now after he signed that huge deal with the Wizards. Maybe it's kind of like uh, Davis has this epiphany, well, you know, I've been kind of injured too. Maybe I should take this money, and if they move me later, they move me later, like the Clippers did when they gave Blake Griffin all that money. So I wonder if those combination of things might actually help them. And perhaps that, that, that to me was actually one of the more like understated yet really important parts of this deal is I don't think the Pelicans need to be as completely desperate on the Cousins front anymore this summer. Now and and it gives them the the insurance blanket essentially to offer him a one year deal and not fear that he's going to bolt. Pay him now, get him a little bit of money while he rehabs, and then defer for one year down the line to the the big long term decision making with Cousins. Would you give him? Would you give him the max? What What would you do if you were GM with him this summer? Oh, 
if I'm another GM, I, I probably don't offer him the max just because I I know Achilles tears are, are really long-term injuries that you uh, can see a lot of ramification from. But uh, again, it really depends on on just how he looks afterwards. I mean, uh, if his rehab goes well and we get positive news by July, I mean, may, yeah, shit, maybe I'm throwing a boatload of money at him because I love what he can do on offense. So good. He's just so. I, and I was talking the other day. I said he could commit a, a lot less turnovers if he didn't like throw these risky passes across the mm-hmm. court or try and thread needles. But I don't, I don't want him to stop throwing those passes. So give me the turnovers. Um, where did I tell you we were going to start? I think I tongue twisted and said the Pistons, right? Yeah, we 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 said Pistons, I, but we I mean, can, we can go wherever, Dan. Let's I'm, go I'm with the. Good. I meant Bulls, but let's say Pistons because they do have Blake Griffin, so it changes the way they're going to react at the trade deadline um, exponentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're I'm going to call them trade deadline vitals. I have them untouchable players. I have none. And obviously you can – I'll skip ahead to the to the toughest player to move, Blake Griffin, just because he's on a five-year, $171.2 million deal, $39 million player option in that final year, 2021-2022. And he can't be traded in combination with another player now because of uh, Detroit's cap situation. So he's – if you want to call him untouchable, but I don't think – I don't think you can come to me and say Andre Drummond's untouchable for them at this point. I think that's probably fair assessment, but I, I think, I mean, Van Gundy and the Pistons made this move to try to experiment with what a Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond front court did. So while nobody's really untouchable for them right now, I think that they're going to want to try to develop this tandem a little bit and see how far it takes them. Yeah, I, now that you're saying that, I actually, so we'll call Andre Drummond untouchable. And I get, we'll call Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin untouchable. Blake Griffin, would you agree, is also the toughest player to move on this roster now? I guess in a vacuum, it'd be John yeah, Moore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's Griffin right now, and and I think, uh, it, you know, in terms of untouchable, I think Reggie Jackson is probably borderline unwantable. <laughs> yes, he has. Um, he's. I have him under their best salary matching assets, but he did not make the notable trade assets, which I have Reggie Bullock at. Two years, $5 million, non-guaranteed next season. He might be borderline untouchable for them because he's been he started at points. He's played okay. You have Stanley Johnson, who we've just seen reports on reports on reports that they're looking to move. He's still an offensive liability. He's even regressed as a playmaker, and he's extension eligible this summer. And then Luke Kennard, who I've been surprised with just in general at how much it seemed like they wanted to play him from the jump. I really loved the combination of him and Tobias Harris, which does not exist anymore. But if the Drummond-Griffin pairing is going to work, Kennard is going to be a good part of that because you need shooters and playmakers around them. And for their best salary matching assets, there's Drummond, four years, $105.1 million, $28.8 million player option the final year of 2021. Langston Galloway, first year of that three-year $21 million deal. Reggie Jackson, as you said, three years, $51.1 million. John Lohr is probably borderline uh, immovable at this point. He has three years and $30 million left on his deal. And in addition to that, he's out the remainder of the season after having surgery to repair a left ankle sprain. You also have Ish Smith, two years, $12 million, and then Anthony Tolliver, who's played really good for the Pistons at points, expiring at $3.3 million. So there's, uh, their books are just a mess, I think, as we could like the run through. This is what happens when you have all these market value players. And so I'm, I'm asking you, when you're looking at this, um, who would be your most likely player to be traded from this roster? Uh, it probably ends up being uh, either Stanley Johnson or uh, kind of dark horse on this we haven't mentioned yet, Henry Ellenson. Ooh. And 
One of the one of the reasons why I say that I I don't think they should necessarily trade Johnson. You take a look at their roster balance right now, just in terms of positions. You know, guard through forward and big man. They're very big man dominant. And like you said, the three toughest contracts for them to move, move probably Blake, Andre, and John Luer are all bigs. So they're going to have to do something after losing out on Avery Bradley and with Reggie Jackson being hurt for a while. If they want to get into the postseason this year or at least put themselves in a position to have a, a veteran that's running things in their backcourt or on the wings next season, they've got to make some sort of a move to get roster balance. And that's where a former first-round pick like Allenson, who has shown just small flashes of pick-and-pop potential, might have some value on the trade market. That's interesting to me. I didn't even give that much consideration. Those are good points. The trade that I had come up with for this team, and it was under the guise that, one, the Spurs have apparently been after Johnson for a while. Mm -hmm. It also seems like they're just really confident in their ability to develop guys without jumpers into good shooters. I think Kawhi Leonard is obviously their crowning example. He wasn't considered to be a great jump shooter entering the NBA, and look at what he was doing before this season. Uh, and then just operating off the assumption, too, that the Pistons aren't going to – you look at their cap situation, they're not going to want to pay him in 2019 when he's a restricted free agent. Uh, so I came up with Yafri Lavernier, Derek White, and a 2019 second from San Antonio for Stanley Johnson and Eric Moreland, which is you get a second-round pick, and you also – Derek White was a first-round prospect, the extra playmaker, I guess, in the backcourt. Maybe he could give you some shooting, but he's basically just this cost-controlled asset, which you need – as many as you can get. I'm assuming, though, from what you're saying, you'd be against it because you don't want them selling low on Stanley Johnson at this point. Yeah, a little bit. And and I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of Derek White. I think he's a good player, but again, I don't know how much he moves the needle for him long term. Just because, uh, again, if you're not going to be able to move the Reggie Jackson deal, can you really play him and Derek White together? Yeah. Uh, you know, the Pistons are hard capped, and they're about about $8 million below the level that they can't exceed right now um, and $2 million below the luxury tax. So they received the $7 million trade exception from uh, giving Boban Marjanovic away to the Clippers as part of that Blake Griffin trade. And they could use it now to try to acquire a player uh, and still be beneath that hard cap. But it's probably best served that they wait until the summer uh, survey other options out there on the trade market or even wait until next year because it doesn't doesn't expire until I think late January of 2019. So they have some time with that. If they are planning on being aggressive at the trade deadline, I think it's more likely that they use that uh, than anything else or maybe even just giving away a, a younger guy like Ellenson for a flyer on a, another rookie out there. Yeah, that, that's a good point, and I, I honestly don't see them wanting to even go into the luxury tax this season, even following yeah. the Griffin trade, so they might, they've made their splash. They, if I, I agree that I think Stanley Johnson, I actually still think Stanley Johnson would be the most likely player to be traded, but they're probably not in a sell-low situation just yet. That would be something they would explore with uh, into the summer. Uh, moving on, though, now that we're going to go in reverse record order, you're welcome, Pistons fans, for just throwing them in what turned out to be randomly at the beginning. Uh, we are on to the Atlanta Hawks, who I believe are, are probably just the NBA's one of their foremost sellers at this point. Uh, when you look at their roster, the untouchable players I have for them are DeAndre Bembry, John Collins, and Torian Prince. And I'm wondering, would you add or take away anyone from that list? Yeah, I mean, I think Collins is really the only player worthy of being 
being untouchable, but because they're in rebuild mode and looking for youth, Bembry and Prince make sense being in there. Collins looks really, really good. Uh, like I, I'm a big fan of John Collins. I really do like him, and he's they've let him experiment. He's kind of like regressed a little bit, his efficiency of late, but it also they're letting him experiment more with off-the-dribble stuff. And if you're going to give, you know, DeAndre Jordan has been the go-to comparison just because I feel like they have similar gates, both when they're on defense, when they're backpedaling. But John Collins has this crazy reload time around the rim. And if you're going to get a big uh, who hopefully they'll be able to get some minutes at center out of and be effective with those lineups long-term. But if you're going to get someone like him who can sometimes put the ball on the floor, that would be really huge. I, I kind of get your point about why he'd be the only one deserving of that status. I would definitely, without question, I'm a Bembry fan. Probably that's why I have him there. But I would put Torian Prince on here 10 times out of 10. I love Torian Prince. He's playing hard. He Again, he's a gritty type of defender. Um, I, I think long-term he projects as like a fifth starter or a really good wing off the bench. But right now, based on the Hawks situation, I just don't, I don't see – the the team really having much of a choice other than to stick with him and see if they can maximize that and and turn it into something a little bit more i promise this isn't because of his hair but i call him jay crowder with an ability to run pick and roll it's it's fair i mean he's yeah he's put up solid numbers this year and and again atlanta in their situation they shouldn't be concerned with efficiency from their young guys it's about trying to maximize their talent and see what type of situations they can and can't put them in in order for them to produce or be comfortable. Um, I mean, we we get so caught up in, in talking about efficiency these days, especially with young guys. You know, like Jason Tatum comes in, and he's so efficient on the offensive end. I mean, that's that's great for the Celtics, who are a team that really cares about every game and every possession and needs to, to maximize his role there. But in Atlanta, I mean, you're – you're starting from scratch and you want to know exactly what you're playing with here. So why not put these guys in a little bit of an uncomfortable situation, see how much you can expand their talent level and then deal with the efficiency a little bit later. Once you define their roles a little more clearly. And that's a good, the efficiency is a good point. Andy has as a saying where he like, doesn't, he tries not to take too much stock of poor shooting or efficiency numbers for the first two years of a player's career. Like they can be used to build him up, but he just he throws them out the window basically for the first two years of their career. Do you agree with doing something like that? Yeah, absolutely. And and that probably comes from my experience right now of of coaching a college basketball team where I think 88% of our roster is freshman sophomore. I mean, we're still experimenting with a lot of things and trying to figure them out. That's really what you have to do with young players. Yeah, I've, I've actually come around to agree with that. I, don't, I think I was on the fence, but Andy said it. Now I have a coach over here telling it to me, so I'm going to mark it down. Uh, notable trade assets for the Hawks, Luke Babbitt, expiring at $1.5 million. Doesn't really play as much anymore. I still like him as a shooter at the four. Marco Bellinelli, dude just hits threes, uh, expiring at 6.6. Dwayne Dedman, who is their most interesting trade asset to me, two years, $12.3 million deal, $6.3 million player option for 2018-2019. The note would be if you're trading for him and you expect him to opt out, you're not going to have bird rights on him and non-bird yeah. rights. Maybe it is enough to re-sign him just because the big market is weird, but but maybe it's not. Um, and then Ersan Ilyasova expiring at $6 million, and I have Isaiah Taylor in here too. He's interesting to me. Best salary matching assets, Kent Bazemore, three years, $54.3 million deal, $19.3 million player option for 2019-2020. And then Dennis Schroeder uh, is interesting to me as well. He's in the first year of the four-year $70 million pact. That's really, when you look at the incentives, basically a four-year $62 million pact. If you're a team... Would you be interested in trading for Dennis Schroeder? 
Yeah. That perfectly sums it up. That's it. it Really, really does. Like he's he's good, and he's good in this Atlanta vacuum where you know he can be the guy and play with the ball in his hands a million times. I I don't like him off the ball, Mm -hmm. and he. I think he's like the leader in the league, or last I checked, he's in the top two or three in terms of guards that uh, percentage of their shots get blocked. Like Dennis Schroeder's shot always seems to end up in the second row, and he's just he's a, he's quick, he's speedy, he gets into the lane, but every finish is low and from his hip and and below his shoulder. He flings these up and tries to just quick finish over big men and, and is a little bit contact averse. Like those are the type of things in a postseason series when referees swallow their whistle a little bit that really, really worry me. Like I don't think he moves the needle enough for another team to want to eat that $62 million he's guaranteed. And I know he's kind of, I mean, he's 6'1, so if you want to say he's properly sized for a point guard or undersized, so this wouldn't be the typical role of him, but he should be, when you just look at his speed and his physical profile, like a more frequent and just better cutter. Like if you're not going to be a really good off-ball shooter, which he's not, can't you You could help establish yourself as, as just this good, solid cutter off the ball, and then he's never really done that. Yeah, he's he's kind of the classic case of an organization has a, a young player that they know they can't let go, so they tr- they try to re-sign him for just about or just under market value and then as they go into their rebuild it's like well what do we do with this guy like he's not going to be the face of our organization he's probably not a desirable contract for anybody else to want and because we've relied on him so heavily his numbers are inflated which makes us ask for more than he's probably worth like it's just a kind of a no-win situation if you're trying to shop Schroeder yeah and it's it's like you said he probably should get to that he's second in drives per game in the NBA and behind Russell Westbrook, he he probably just should be getting or you, I don't want to say because Russell Westbrook sometimes isn't like this get to the line aficionado, but Dennis Schroeder, if he's going to be your guy and you're not going to have this other offensive firepower around him, you probably want to see him getting to the line. It doesn't have to be with the frequency of James Harden or DeMar DeRozan, but like maybe even something closer to like I, I don't even like even Dennis Smith Jr. is already better at getting to the line. Um, you could even go with I'm, I'm just even trying to just like someone Tyreek Evans or or Kemba Walker or someone on that level. And I don't he's not there yet either. So he's going to be fascinating uh, to watch as they kind of progress the rebuild because I don't know if he's going to be worth that money. It's fine to pay him now when you're not really going anywhere. But if we want to move next year or, or the year after when they have these zillion first round picks, and they're going to want to experiment with more younger guys. Or are they going to start moving in a different direction when you look at the point guard situation? Yeah, this is a a fascinating trade deadline for the Hawks just because they have so many players that they can get value in return for expiring contracts or like we mentioned, Kent Bazemore trying to maximize what you can get if you want to get him off the books. But on the same token, like Schroeder really is the key to figuring out what they want to do long term, whether or not they can find other offensive players to carry the load around him and if he can exceed and excel in uh, in a secondary role. Who I think this is a no-brainer, but who is your toughest player to move on this roster? Plumlee. Yeah, I agree. Three years, thirty-seven point five million. Uh, I don't even. I just inexplicable. Uh, the Bucks were the Bucks signed him to that contract, and he went to the Hornets, and then he was on the Hawks. The fact that they got out of that deal, they're lucky. They were especially because yeah. they've delved over on the books. Most likely trader be most likely player to be traded for you from the Hawks. 
Uh, it's either Bellinelli or Ilyasova. I mean, both of them are, again, they're like, I think Ilyasova's got $6 million contract and Bellinelli's like 6.6. Those two guys are are veterans that other teams should want just because they can shoot the ball so well. Ilyasova is a pick and pop big or somebody who you can say, go stand in the corner and provide value. Um, And then Bellinelli, he's proven time and time again that he can make big shots for a team. I mean, uh, I would not be shocked if even the San Antonio Spurs called about trying to get him back. Ooh, he'd be really interesting there again. That would be fun. The trade I have for them, and probably just because the other ones are are so, like, I feel too many of the other scenarios are going to feature just Dwayne Dedman or Ilyas over Bellinelli. So I went with trying to get Bazemore at home, and I went with the Blazers for they get Kent Bazemore and Luke Babbitt, who I'm still a Luke Babbitt fan. I'm going to die on that hill. Uh, they'll give the Hawks. Too. Yes. That's what I like to hear, Spins. Uh, oh, yeah. They'll give up Maurice Harkless, who has fallen out of favor there. Myers Leonard's, Myers Leonard's deal. Caleb Swanigan, their 2018 first, top 16 protected. There could be some flexibility there depending on how much, uh, how averse the Hawks are to absorbing the money for Leonard, and then a 2019 second they'll also send to Atlanta. It'll come via uh, the Lakers or the Timberwolves. And my my uh, my argument for this trade, before you even react to it, is Maurice Harkless isn't necessarily on a terrible deal, and the Hawks could use a guy who you can at least throw on bigger wings to kind of help out with Prince and Bembry because neither of those – Prince you can get run at at the forefront, but Bembry's not going to be someone that you can throw – um, on these bigger wings, and, and you can use Harkless that way. Myers Leonard, if you're going to get rid of Deadman, um, if you know that Mike Muscala isn't long for Atlanta because he's under the two-year uh, $10 million deal with a player option for next season, he wouldn't be the worst. They, they like having these spacey bigs. They want Dwayne Deadman shooting threes. Caleb Swanigan's a nice first-round flyer. And then again, to add another first-round pick to the chamber, that would really help them maybe move up in this year's draft because they're going to have a few first round picks there I think including their own over the next two drafts right now they have five first so yep. that's like th- that would be my justification for them and then Bazemore I know if you're the the Blazers you just traded Alan Crabb over the summer but you're getting off two deals that you probably don't want here in exchange for consolidating them into one in a guy who I think is at least movable at this point without attaching sweeteners and he's by far a defensive and playmaking upgrade over Alan Crabb yeah, it's, it's an interesting foot. Bazemore would be really good in, in Portland's offense just because they have all three of their wings kind of running a, a circular movement, and uh, and he can handle the ball a little bit next to guys like Lillard and McCollum. But, you know, first looking at the trade, as you read it out here, it sounds like Portland's giving up a, a lot to get a player like Bazemore who, I mean, he's he's good, but he's not doesn't really have the potential to be great. Um, but then you also think about the tax ramifications for Portland and, and it does look like this deal gets them beneath the luxury tax for this season, which is their organizational imperative. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I would not be shocked. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if something like this happened. Yeah. And I guess there could be some flexibility on the second rounder or maybe I, maybe you don't have to give up Swanigan, but he was important. That whole thing, it was right. You were, it was built on getting them, um, beneath the luxury tax for, for this year. So I'm, yep. I'm interested to see what the Hawks do. They're sellers and they're going to make moves. Uh, I'm with you. It's Bellinelli or, or San Eliasova for me as the most likely player to be moved. I go. I I think I would just lean towards Bellinelli because maybe Orson Eliasova comes back, and again, I think they might like those spacey bigs, especially if Dwayne Dedman, as everyone believes, is out the door as well. Um, that would move us to the sad sack Orlando Magic, who Aww. after eight and four start are now fifteen and thirty six. 
um, second worst re- record in the Eastern Conference and tied, I believe, for the oh no, they have the third worst record in the NBA. So kudos to to, to them. So I I don't necessarily this is where the controversy is going to come in. I don't. Their only untouchable player to me is Jonathan Isaac because we haven't seen enough of him and they have no business when you look at the money on their books already with some of the guys that are nearing restricted free agency, giving up a course controlled asset, uh, who is still, you know, he's this top seven prospect, top eight prospect. And I know that people would probably want Aaron Gordon on this list. I have him as a notable trade asset for them, along with Evan Fournier, four years, 68 million, Mario Hazonia, Alfred Payton, Jonathan Simmons, who I still like. Um, I listed their first round pick. I don't know why I did that because I wasn't listing the team's own first round pick and they have no business trading um, their own first round pick. So I'm removing that. But I I don't know where you fall on the one, the untouchable front. I want to hear if you would add Aaron Gordon to that. I just I would shop him. I don't want a part of his next deal. His efficiency has plummeted since that hot start. And I guess you can say he's the closest thing to a cornerstone that they have, but I, I don't know that you can look at him and say, hey, he's the guy to lead us into the future. And finally, I, I know a lot of people expect this year's restricted free agent market uh, to be squeezed, but if there's going to be one guy who gets that max offer sheet from a team with cap space, I just feel like he's going to be this year's Otto Porter or something. Yeah, I'm going to be blunt here, Dan. Uh, the Please Magic, do. have they've, they've botched their rebuild since they got rid of Dwight Howard what's that seven years ago now they've completely botched it you take a look at the players on their roster they've drafted some good ones they've traded some good ones away and gotten minimal returns they only have one first round pick in the future coming from another team and that comes from Oklahoma City in 2020 that's not that's not great value like when you're trying to rebuild and you're trying to add young pieces, you need first-round draft picks. If anything that we can learn from San Hinkie and the Philadelphia 76ers comes true, it's that. that You need to have first-round draft picks, and they just don't have any. So I think Isaac really is the only untouchable player here because if you pay Aaron Gordon or if you pay Alfred Payton, guys that are restricted – free agents at the end of the year you're just signing yourself up for more years of mediocrity and lack of cap flexibility i love gordon i think he's a really good player and i agree with your assessment if there's one restricted free agent that is worth going kind of boom or bust on this summer it's probably gordon but my goodness the magic have to do something a little bit differently and with their new front office in town i would not be shocked at all if they made a seismic shift trying to shake things up this uh this deadline that's that's the other thing too is he's not this regime's guy he's just not and so that that could factor into whether they want to pay him or not as well it'll factor into Frank Vogel's job security this year their their guy on this roster uh, you know they, okay they signed Jonathan Simmons and blah 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 but like Isaac is as of right now like he's the guy of this regime so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved him I'm gonna lean towards no I would shop him and we're gonna have a trade involving him later on but i I just that's going to be fascinating to me what would you do with if if you were them what would you do with alfred payton i would move him i've i don't want them paying him like i just don't i mean maybe he won't cost anything and the offense has been fairly good with him on the floor this year but his he's one of the few guys i think we could ever say and maybe you're you you could correct me on this you look at a rookie playing defense or a sophomore playing defense and and they're normally bad to really bad and he seemed like he was okay but he feels like he's regressed on defense since he was a rookie or a sophomore which i just don't understand 
Yeah, it's hard to stay engaged for 82 games over the course of three or four seasons when you suck as a team. <laughs> It, it it just is, um, and and poor Frank Vogel, man. He was he's an awesome coach, and he's just getting he's getting no uh, no rest for the weary down there in Orlando. But and when it when it comes to Alfred Payton, and like yeah, you got to try to move him, but again, like who's gonna want to acquire him and then deal with his agent trying to to find the right value for him this summer? Right. Uh, you know, like you said, the squeeze on that restricted free agent market and hoping that he signs that qualifying offer, which for him, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think is just like four and a half million. Like it's not it's not a huge number for Alfred Payton's qualifying offer. Um, maybe a team looking for like a, a one year audition that has the time to, to give that to him might take him like Phoenix really is the only team that comes to mind for that. Ooh, you read my mind quite literally. And also, I guess to the point of the magic, his cap hold um, is slightly under $10 million. And as a team, that's not going to have a ton of cap space anyway to just carry that cap hold and let like the market kind of dictate. Because if, what, if he, what if he agrees to an offer sheet that you deem movable? And then you can actually get more value for him later because he's under a longer-term deal. Um, to get through the rest of their things, I need to blow through these earlier. Um, but the best salary matching assets for me, Shelvin Mack, two years, $12 million, non-guaranteed for 2018-19. Terrence Ross, I still really like. Uh, hasn't played since November, I believe, with a, with his knee injury. Two years and $20 million, uh, $21 million. I still think uh, when you look at his salary next year and what he can do is kind of a spot-up shooter and not be the worst defender on your team or at least not appreciably hurt your defense, I would pay $10.5 million for a healthy version of him, which is why I have him as a good salary matching asset. Then, of course, uh, Nikola Vucevic, two years, $25 million. Uh, hand injury he's dealing with, that would probably, I would assume, prohibits them from moving him because you we're going to be hard-pressed to get value in the first place. He's just one of those guys, you look at the contract, I'd pay him that, but you can't really find a good fit for him around the league. Portland would be fun for a healthy Vucevic. He's a better fit for them to me than... Uh, Nurkic just because he would improve defensively to me in their in their conservative scheme and then he's going to be smarter than what Nurkic has been on the offensive end this year. Bismack Biombo for me is the toughest player to move three years 51 million. Um, would you agree with that one? Yeah I, I, no one wants that contract my goodness that's you, one of two, the worst. You would need two firsts to get rid of that right like even a first ah. and a first round guy. It's awful, and it does disrespect for like the first four years of his NBA career. I perennially named my fantasy basketball team the Fighting Bismack Biombos, and I just That's I'm too disgraced. Name. It's it's an awesome name, and I'm too disgraced to name my team that now because he's just he's so overpaid and so bad, and it's just oh I want to smash my head against a brick wall. We'll always have 2015, 2016 though that season with the Raptors where he was really good, and then all yep. that money came in and I yep. mean, just, wow. Who's your most likely player to be traded for Orlando? Um, I, I think that now is the time to try to cash out on Hazonia to a, another team. If they come in and just say, Hey, you know, we'll take a flyer on him for a little bit and just kind of swap dead weight, so to speak. I, I think he might have some value elsewhere outside of Orlando and, and they could do the same with the type of player they, they get back. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if they move most spades either. Because he's, uh, again, that veteran minimum contract that's pretty easy to move. And he's a, a pick-and-pop type of big that a lot of teams need instant offense off their bench in the, for a postseason push. Give Orlando a call, give up a pretty low-level second-round pick, and get spades. Like that's, that's minor stuff, but it's just one of those things that probably could happen. Got to get more spades back on the Warriors, probably. I'd um, love to see it. 
You know what would be interesting with Hazonia is now that the Pelicans have back that second-round pick, if you're the Magic, do you eat the final year of Ajinsa's deal and give take New Orleans a second-rounder and then give them Hazonia, who you're not going to keep anyway? Mm, that's a thought. I don't know. I don't. I don't know about that. Um, it's tough. They have. They have no reason to have a Jensen yeah. on the books next year. But it's like you said. They don't have these future first round picks stocked up. So if you could, for a guy that you've already deemed is not a part of your future, if you could just pick up that second. And again, what if the Pelicans don't make the playoffs and you're all of a sudden looking at a pick that lands at number forty four? That's not. I, it's a risk, and maybe it's not enough to get the conversation started. But I would. Maybe it's enough to get the conversation started or um, to get. Uh, the guys in Orlando to pick up the phone. Maybe, maybe that would be enough. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's tough with, with Hazonia being an unrestricted free agent this summer instead of a restricted one, the way that Orlando kind of finagled those, those cap workings this summer has tied their hands a little bit just in terms of what type of team might want to trade for him. And uh, I think it limits it to, to probably teams that, you know, if you take a risk on him and he performs well, but you're over the cap and you're you're only looking for a role player, you've basically traded away an asset for a three-month rental of a good dude who you probably can't retain. Yes, that's true, because they did decline his team option, uh, his fourth-year option, so he th- that's just all kinds of a, of a mess. So uh, that would still be interesting. The trade I have for them, though, would be uh, Alfred Payton, and you named the Suns. The deal is the Magic get Troy Daniels. Alan Williams, uh, his contract next season, non-guaranteed, and, and he, he hasn't played this year while he's dealing with his own injury. And a 2018 second-round pick that will come from Charlotte, Miami, or Memphis via Phoenix. And then the Suns receive Peyton, uh, who they could actually use now after that gruesome Isaiah Canem, uh, Isaiah Canem injury the other night. And then Terrence Ross, who I actually thinks a player they could use because they don't actually have a lot of good shooting wings outside of Devin Booker. And from the Magic's perspective, they get his money off. Unless they view him as this asset that they're going to be able to get real value off of next year. Maybe getting a cheap Troy Daniels, who's been shooting really well since he arrived in Phoenix. And a, a second-round pick is enough to get that conversation going. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting thought. Again, if we're trying to place Peyton, I think Phoenix is probably the most likely destination. But uh, those are both teams that are just keep hitting the reset button and trying to figure things out. and. And I don't know how much uh, cap space really helps either team. So it's just one of like, you know, dealing with each other is probably a little bit difficult. Phoenix would have to probably love Peyton in order to try to pull the trigger on a deal like that. And as a make culpa, uh, the Magic have the second worst record in the league to themselves at this recording. So apologies from me for misspeaking at the beginning. Um, that means, though, that they're in the books. We go back to... The Chicago Bulls, who in large part, thanks to Nikola Mirotic, no longer have the worst record in the NBA. They were over 500, 15 and 13 from when they got him him back. And now that he's gone, I know they were sitting him, obviously, since they moved him, but the tank can go full bore. Uh, they're still kind of super interesting because they're, they could have some other moves in them. They're going to have the ability. They have a trade exception. They can still take on some bad contracts. Um, do, would you add, for their untouchable players, I have Laurie Markkinen. Would you add anybody to that? Uh, I think you probably have to add Dunn and Levine in there just based off of what they gave up in the, you know, giving up Jimmy Butler and getting those guys back. Um, I think you want to give them more than just a, a, you know, six month rental, so to speak, to see what happens. 
happens, especially after going through Levine's injury prospect. Again, it's too early to give up on a player like either of them. Yeah, and Chris Dunn's played his way to borderline untouchable, but is he the point guard of their future? I don't know. And then the Zach Levine stuff, he probably is untouchable. I just didn't put him there out of just my own mindset. I'm I'm wondering, though— do you think what's gonna ha- he first of all he hasn't been that good since he came back from his ACL injury I know he's he's needed time but he's worse defensively which is a problem because he wasn't good there to begin with are the Bulls married to the fact that they need to prove they got a worthwhile return from the Jimmy Butler trade so tightly they'll just match whatever offer he might receive in restricted free agency maybe the market just won't even be that competitive for his services they don't have to worry about that but that's kind of another fascinating issue with them they're making a decision a long-term and expensive decision on, on his future and on their own future with just a few months sample size. Yeah, I, I think that they're probably not even going to get to the point where he has offer sheets from other teams where they're going to try to front load a deal with him so Ooh, that they can be smart. Yeah, they can be competitive in the final years, like a four-year deal where they're, they're front-loading it a little bit. Um, the thing with Levine, he just, he's not a point guard. Um, you know, he, he doesn't create for others well enough and he doesn't defend. So <laughs> like, I, I just, I have this, this image of the bulls paying him and keeping him as a foundational piece. And, and he's going to be an important part of it, but he really needs to step up his part on the defensive. end if, if he's going to ever turn into something for the Chicago bulls, how high would you go on him right now? If restricted free agency was today Four sixty too much. No, that's probably good value. I I think I'd probably up it a little bit. I'd go up to f- maybe 470. Um, wow. And, and again, and front load it a little bit. I mean, they have the space to do so. Right. It's not like they're going to do anything in, in free agency this summer. And You know his agent's going to be pointing to that like Dennis Schroeder deal too. Yeah. That yeah, dude got I, 70. Give my, give my client 90. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that that's fair to put him a little bit in the in the same type of money as a guy like Schroeder right now. and. And I don't think that's an overpay for the Bulls necessarily. I'd want probably a, a, some incentive-laden part of that, similar to Schroeder, in the in the way that that's structured. But uh, I, I would I'd go up to about seventy. Yeah, it's got to be like games played and minutes played incentives at this point too, right? Given that ACL injury, like that's yeah, a- it's yeah, it's probably something like that. Um, although it it might also have something to do with. Um, like individual performances, if if he is ever to to make it on an, an all NBA team, I, th- I think, like you you try to really stretch out the incentives and, and try to make get them into him one, to more unlikely ones. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point too. Um, there are other trade assets. Jaron Grant, insofar as he's still a trade asset. Justin Holiday, uh, two years, nine million dollar deal, playing out the first year of it. David Nwaba, uh, early bird, free agent this year. Cameron Payne, I refused to that trade for him was utterly awful, and I didn't wasn't hard enough on them when they made it. But I'm still a Cameron Payne believer after watching him his rookie season. And then I have Bobby Portis and Denzel Valentine, uh, best salary matching assets. I really only have Robin Lopez in large part because of who I view as their toughest player to move. Who would you mm-hmm. have as the Bulls' toughest player to move? Yeah, it's it's probably it's probably Lopez if not. Oshik or Felicio? I mean, I didn't those even are consider Oshik. I forgot. I, I still think it'd be harder to move Felicio now, or do you think it would still be tougher to move Oshik right now? That so the way that Felicio's contract is structured is is pretty odd. It's it increases from 2017 from this season to next year. Um, I think it's like six 
hundred thousand dollars more, and then it starts to decline in terms of uh, financial value over the final two seasons. So, I really don't look at the back end of that contract and fear anything, especially when you think about the salary cap is going to continue to slightly. Uh, move a little bit higher over these next few years. But uh, I think the short-term, Oshik is probably tush, tough to trade until this summer or next year's trade deadline. And there's just such a, a low market on veteran big men right now that I, I don't know if the Bulls could get something valuable in return for Robin Lopez if they tried. Yeah, it's even – so you look at Lopez and it's he's going to make – he'll be in the final year of his deal next season making about $14.4 million, And that's not ridiculous, but at the same time, it's like you said, looking at the big men market – you almost feel like unless they're taking – he's only an asset if they're taking back what another team deems a worse contract. Yeah. I like I don't even think there's a, a team out – like even the Bucks who could use size and they need rebounding and he's more of like an indirect rebounder. He's not – his rebounding numbers aren't good, but he helps box guys out so other teammates mm-hmm. get rebounds. But they're not even a team that should be taking a look at him. I'm just – with Felicio, who doesn't really play that much to begin with, and then why, what was the market for him that you gave him 4-32 and this summer? Like it was just it happened That's, right away. Yeah. Like I just I, I don't understand that deal at all. And then to not make him essentially one of your two most played bigs this year, I, I don't understand that either. Yeah, oh I I mean I have no idea what the front office in Chicago has been doing from like a long term planning standpoint. I think that they got good value back on the Jimmy Butler trade and Lowry Markinen is a, a really good draft pick for them and a, and a foundational piece. But, I mean, you kind of – you have to do more than just nail one trade and one draft pick if you're going to really, you know, turn the franchise around a little bit. And they're still dealing with the, the repercussions of whether it's giving Felicio $32 million instead of just taking Jordan Bell with a second-round draft pick, for example. <laughs> or, or just uh, keeping it, even if they didn't take him. Like, yeah. just keep the pick. Ah, shit, just do something with it a little bit differently. But it, it's 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 all a lesson in asset management. And the good thing about the Bulls is that they have a ton of space. They can absorb contracts a little bit and get more value so that they can at least increase the, the likelihood that they land another good young player in the future. But, yeah, I mean, you can't take back so many of these contracts that, to the point where the next two years you're basically paralyzed to move. Who is your most likely tri- player to be traded for them? I think in terms of value to another team, uh, Justin Holiday would provide a lot because he's producing really well as like a 3 and D type of wing, and he only is going to make like $4.4 million next year. That's incredible value. I think you have to cash out on that right now if you're the Bulls. Yes, and yet the Knicks, while having him, decided it was worth giving Tim Hardaway Jr. four years and $71 million. Anyway, nope, I'm not bitter nope, about that at all. Um, yeah. the trade I have for them, I agree with you on the Justin Holiday front. Uh, would you eat for two second round picks from Denver? Uh, 2018 second, it'll be less favorable of Portland or Sacramento, and then a 2019 second, uh, which will be Washington's. Would you eat the final year of Darrell Arthur's contract, seven point five million dollar player option, and give them Justin Holiday? Sure. Yeah, I'd do that. And he'd be interesting. I, he really can't defend bigger wings, but he's. Denver just needs like just some additional help on the perimeter. They have too many forwards, and if they're not going to go the point guard uh, route, which I understand now because Jamal Murray's been showing out, 
lately, and you have Nicole Jokic, and once Millsap comes back, you also have Will Barton's played some point guard for them. Harris can run some pick and roll. My voice just cracked there because I'm going through puberty again, apparently. Uh, but he would just be – he'd just be – you could go. I've had other ideas for them too, but you could, I think Justin Holiday would just be like a nice solid pickup for them, especially if you're getting rid of Darrell Arthur's contract in the process. Yeah, I, I think too you can take a look at this, but if I'm if I'm the Chicago Bulls in their front office, I'm Gar Foreman, I'm picking up the phone and I'm calling Portland and I'm offering them Justin Holiday and saying I will eat the remainder of Mo Harkless's contract if you give me a first-round pick or two. Ooh, that could be really interesting. Because, I mean, they're going to have similar type of roles in Portland. Uh, Holiday probably might even play a little bit more. His contract saves them this year, gets them beneath the luxury tax, saves them a little bit next year when they're going to have to pay Nurkic. And for a first-round pick, I think Portland has backed himself in the corner where they may have to do that. Chicago should use their cap space moving forward and, and try to make that type of phone call. I guess the only pause I would have there, and that's actually a, that's a very good idea, Uh is one, can you play Justin Holiday with C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard? Is he a guy that you trust to defend threes? And I would say, given that you're going to be under the luxury tax and how well your defense has performed this season, uh, yes, like just test it out. Like you could definitely try it. The pause I I guess I would really have is he the contract that you want to use a first-round pick to dump just because you have Myers Leonard, you have Evan Turner. So, but that would be... I, if they're really if they're looking to get under luxury tax, that would be super super interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, and the Bulls have that that trade exception from Jimmy Butler that they can use to to absorb it. So yeah, why not? Oh, absolutely. I, I like that idea. Thank you for throwing that one out there. You're welcome. Um, so that brings us to the Brooklyn Nets, who are at the moment have the fourth worst record in the Eastern Conference, and they are at 19 and 34 i've been very i'm just going to throw this out there i've just been very surprised that they've always tried under kenny atkinson but i've been very surprised um, uh, at their defense they're 13th in points allowed per 100 possessions since christmas if you want to toggle that and go even more recently they're even better but to be in that situation is is fantastic for them they're in a very interesting situation because they have a, a ton to work with they already uh traded for julio loco for this season uh, further untouchable players, I have only Jared Allen and Karis LeVert. I don't know that they have any real untouchable players, but you picked up Jared Allen. He he looks like he, he can even do some jump hook stuff that I didn't know that he could do coming in, and he's just been super active and played very well for them. And then I have Karis LeVert there too because they're in love with wings, and he's just shown flashes, never protracted ones, but just shown flashes everywhere. And I think when you're looking at the rest of the roster – D'Angelo Russell is going to be extension eligible this year. Um, same thing with Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. So they're all of a sudden one year out from restricted free agency. Spencer Dinwiddie is going to need a new contract. Uh, he it, only he has a non-guaranteed deal for next year, which you can assume if they don't trade him, they're obviously going to keep him, but then you have to worry about paying him. Joe Harris, early bird free agent this year. When you have to invest in your roster and guys that you could see being a part of the bigger picture, and yet you're only just getting your first-round picks back after this year. It, to me, it almost seems like trading either Allen or Levert would be a huge no-no. Yeah, that's that's fair. And, and you take a look at all those players you just mentioned, Dinwiddie, Harris, Hollis Jefferson, D'Angelo Russell. Like, I think Russell is really the only one that has the chance to be a foundational type of player and a starter on a, on a pretty good team. Everybody else are just – they're – you know, average starters, like they're, they're guys that 
you want to have on your roster, but you don't want to break the bank to try to pay one of them or all of them. I mean, that's how you take a look at the, the Trailblazers. I know I, for some reason I keep talking about Portland today, but they're so you, fascinating because they it's like they Damian are. Lillard wants them to be buyers, but they're trying to duck the luxury yeah. tax. They have so many needs. Yeah, but they don't have a lot of trade assets. Talk about yeah, Portland well, as much and as you, you want. <laughs> Well, just thinking about how they back themselves into the situation by paying all of their role players enough money to try to keep them around and saying, this is our core. They paid Alan Crabb. They paid Mo Harkless. They paid Myers Leonard. Like all of these guys that were just good role players, they they gave they broke the bank to get. And now they have to sell first round picks or beg other teams to take those contracts off. And if the Nets really do plan on moving the needle forward over the next couple seasons, they have to be weary about creating that similar type of situation by getting guys like Dinwiddie, Harris, Hollis, Jefferson under longer-term deals that you then can't really move. I mean, they don't have the star player like Lillard or McCollum that's really going to be you know, at the top of their salary cap sheets, but I mean, they're one strike away in free agency, and they're in essentially the, the greatest city in the world. I mean, you, you've got to have some faith that the organization is going to try to make a strike on free agency soon, and then all of a sudden those contracts and extensions come back to bite you. Do you know if, if – so all those players that we just talked about, that was their, those were their notable trade assets for me, and they have some really good salary matching ones. Uh, Damari Carroll, uh, two years, $30.2 million left. It would be funny to me – that they took on, they got a first round pick from Toronto and a second round pick from Toronto in exchange for absorbing Carroll, and they sent out Justin Hamilton. If they end up turning Damari Carroll into another pick, so then all of a sudden you've gotten three picks for Justin Hamilton, essentially, kudos to the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. Um, they have Alan Crabb, three years, $56.3 million left on that deal. I was not against, I have to, I have to say this every time, the disclaimer, I was a big Alan Crabb guy, and I was not like upset about the deal that like I didn't care that the Nets offered it to him I didn't care that the uh, Blazers matched I was obviously wrong you have Jeremy Lin two years 24.5 million dollars out for the season with his 12.5 million dollar player option for next year he is definitely going to pick that up uh, Jamil yep. Okafor expiring at five million dollars they did acquire him I believe it was just in time so that he could just be um, rerouted and you have Nick Stauskas 3.8 million dollars then he's a restricted free agent I if if I were them, um, I I would look at trading. Uh, well, first, who's your toughest player to move for this team? Uh, it's got to be Mozgov, yeah. right? Like he's the he's the only yeah he's the only guy we haven't really mentioned right here, and it's just like who the hell wants that? I, I ask you that question like there's even a question. It's Timofey Mozgov, and then yeah. who's your most likely? This is fascinating. Who's your most likely player to be traded on this roster? Uh, I have a feeling we're going to disagree on this one. I love uh, disagreements. All right, awesome. I have Joe Harris. Uh, I mean, I could get on board with that. I, I could. I have Damari Carroll just because I feel like they mm-hmm. could sell. Per, like you could get if you're willing to eat a contract. I would think you could get a first for Damari, like a low end first, which would be interesting. But Joe Harris is you don't. He's probably the guy you don't want to pay. Yeah, yeah, he is, and and he's also the guy with. I say I feel like I say this all the time, but three point shooting is something that every team needs, and that every contender would want to add a player like that at the trade deadline. So if you find a team that's going to compete this year and is willing to say, "All right, I have a little bit of cap space next year, or, or luxury tax room next season," I'm gonna take on Harris and pay him because he's probably a better option as a shooting wing than than we can get. 
uh, let's see what, what Brooklyn would be willing to take back. Would you like to hear a, a, what I found to be a, an incredibly interesting Joe Harris stat? Let's, let's do it. So the Nets have allowed him to do some stuff off the dribble this year, and a, a lot of these drives go uncontested, but he's shooting 62% on drives among 183 players, averaging at least three of those downhill attacks per game. He is first in accuracy at 62% mm. clip. I found that absolutely fascinating. Love, love um, stat. That that I found good. I'm glad you love it because I love these obscure stats too. If I were the Nets though, and we both have different most likely players to be traded, I would probably try to trade Spencer Dinwiddie. And I'm a big Spencer Dinwiddie fan. I asked, um, I had Cole Zilwicker on this pod a month or two ago, and I asked him who's going to be the more valuable player in the NBA. Fast forward three years, Andrew Wiggins or Spencer Dinwiddie, and he like he couldn't even. He was just so stumped. By the question, he is Spencer Dimity. You're not going to get a lot of salary value for him because he's making 1.5 this year and then the 1.7 million dollar non guaranteed deal next year. But if a team wants him, they're going to have full birds on him in 2019 too. So that's a huge part of a trade, and he's probably never going to have higher value. And as the Nets, your if they don't, I get if they don't want to tank because they've had to endure the last two years. But it seems like this that Sean Marks has kind of carte blanche here and Kenny Atkinson and him have shown that they can keep the locker room morale up amid not only losing, but roster turnover, they might look to continue bottoming out and you don't want a guy as good on your roster as Spencer Dinwiddie. It's fine, I guess at this price point, but just looking ahead, you wouldn't want that. I would, I would look at moving him and I I don't know what you could necessarily get for him, but you have Damari Sarrell's, um, contract which teams aren't going to hate to have that you can use as a buffer as well and maybe you're able to get i don't have a trade for him so i say this without like but like maybe a team is just willing to to take a flyer on him and give you a a first round pick or or this prospect that they don't want or are you are you against moving dinwiddie at this point i think i'm against it just because i really want to see if he and d'angelo russell can coexist i think that russell's shooting on offense and dinwiddie's size on defense makes it kind of a theoretical that they could be a a good two-point guard lineup playing with each other long term um and honestly like i'd rather trade isaiah whitehead and just see if i can get like a second round pick in return for him like a even a low value second just to a team that needs a long-term scoring option at like the third point guard spot. Yeah, I, I want to see the Russell Dinwiddie thing work out, but I'm just trying to. They're in, you talked about this at length. They're just in such a weird spot because of they're coming. You know, it's easy to cut bait with Joe Harris this year, trade market, free agency, whatever. Fine, but they're going to have some just really tough decisions to make when you, when you look ahead into 2019. And maybe yep. it's just something they revisit at the trade deadline next year because Dinwiddie will still be traded with bird rights at that point. The trade yeah. I have for them, the Nets receive Cole Aldrich. Uh, Nemanja Bialica, and then a 2018 lottery-protected first-round pick. It's coming from the Thunder, but uh, via the Minnesota Timberwolves. And then Minnesota gets your favorite guy, Joe Harris, along with Damari Carroll. Yeah, that's in, that's interesting for the for the T Wolves. I, I don't know. <sighs> I'm trying to look at it. Do you know what the real issue yeah. is for me? I mean, you're getting Cole Aldrich is non He's partially guaranteed next year. I. Minnesota doesn't play. It's, they need wing help, but they don't play their bench guys to begin with, really. So how much are they going to value having someone 
like Damari Carroll when Andrew Wiggins yeah. and Jimmy Butler already on the roster? How much are they actually going to use Joe Harris when they? Yes, they need wings on the roster, but would Tom? Is this a matter of they don't have the right personnel, or is Tom Thibodeau just still not going to play them? And if he's yeah. going to continue his rotations the way they are, you don't want to give up a first round pick in this situation. Right, and with Minnesota, I mean, if they take back Damari Carroll and only give up Aldrich and Bielitsa, then they're going to have $45 million tied up in Gorgie Jang, Taj Gibson, and Damari Carroll next season and have to pay Joe Harris. I mean, that's, what, yeah, that's what a lot. Do, I like Gorgie Jang. I love what, him. What do they do? Why would you sign to that contract and with the without the intention of, like, playing him? Like, the, the front court, like, you – I know you like Taj Gibson, and I've been wrong about him. I did – I. I probably still don't love the two-year, $28 million deal, but he's been good, and their defense has been better at points mm-hmm. this season. But, like, what if you didn't think Gorgie Jang was, like, a big part of your future, why did you sign him to that extension? I got – I have one word for – or really one phrase for you, and uh, it's quoting the great philosopher Drake. <laughs> Summer 16. <laughs> oh, I think that is a perfect point to end on the Brooklyn Nets, talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves. That moves us to the Charlotte Hornets, who are 22 and 29. They have just been wildly disappointing this year. They've dealt with some injuries. Cody Zeller is now back. Maybe they're able to get into the playoff uh, discussion, but they are three and a half games back of the eight seed right now. And while I think they can and will leapfrog the New York Knicks, getting past two of the Pistons and Sixers, uh, that's, I just can't see them doing that for the rest of this year. So are they going to be buyers? Are they going to be sellers? Do they even have the ability to be sellers without trading Kemba Walker is something else that they're going to have to consider. So I, I, this might be one of my favorite teams with the trade deadline, but I say that knowing there's a pretty good to great chance that they won't do anything because this front office has been, I will say, less than proactive. They've been more aggressively trying to stay in the middle of the pack. Uh, I do, however untouchable players i have none for them would you agree with that yep i would absolutely agree with that because they they have one of the worst cap situations in the league and whatever they can do to get out of it they need to do and i'm interested so here are my actual trade assets for them so they're not salary matching assets and they're not guys that you would necessarily need to attach sweeteners to i have Dwayne bacon uh travion graham expiring at 1.3 million frank Kaminsky, just because he's still on the rookie scale deal and bigs who can theoretically shoot might you know if they're gonna make peanuts you could test them out jeremy lamb at two years and 14.5 million i know most maybe most or many people aren't going to be crazy about paying someone like him 7.5 but he's been really good for the hornets at points this year still kind of a mid-range savant he's shown he can run some pick and roll so i ended up putting him kind of in the plus side for them, and maybe I was just feeling guilty because they didn't have any um, demonstrative assets. I have Malik Monk, who has been a disappointment. Maybe he hasn't played enough, but even when they tried to let him kind of do things at the beginning of the season, it wasn't working. Johnny O'Brien, expiring at 1.5, and then, of course, Kemba Walker, two years, uh, $24 million deal, expiring next season. Those are like my assets for them. Would you add anyone to that? Is there anyone that you could even begin to even make a case for? Would you remove anyone from that list? Um, I think the only player I might add, and again, it's it's one of those guys that I just seem to really like year after year, is Marvin Williams. Uh, again, he's probably more of like a salary filler type of guy because of how much money. Like he's going to make almost thirty million dollars uh, next season in twenty nineteen twenty twenty. 
but uh, I just I like him as a as a veteran uh, and a and a stretch four and a, a good defender and a guy who moves the ball and makes the right decisions with playoff experience under his belt. If I'm a if I'm a contender and I'm looking to offset some dead weight and am able to give up like a a couple second round picks, I think you can do a lot worse than than Marvin Williams. Yeah, that's a good point. The his fifteen million dollar he's three years forty two point three million dollars with a fifteen million dollar player option two thousand nineteen twenty. That's like that just seems like so much money to me for him and if the deal was structured a little differently maybe declining he would he would be a much better trade asset but there's a case there their salary fodder for me michael carter williams expiring at 2.7 is just a great throw-in option dwight howard two years 44.3 million michael kick gilchrist uh, three years 39 million with a 13 million dollar player option in 2019 2020 i actually don't hate that deal doesn't really Mm -hmm. do anything for you on offense but he's still He's an okay defender. You can get some minutes from him at the four, though he seems more comfortable switching on to point guards than he would power forwards. Uh, Marvin Williams, like you said, and then Cody Zeller, his four years, $56 million deal, the first year of it he's in right now. He just came back from his injury, so maybe he can turn into an asset, but as of right now, I don't think he's someone that you could very easily move, and they probably don't want to move him because when he's out, they're terrible, and when he plays, they're generally look better. Who do you have as their toughest player to move? I'm assuming it's the one person I didn't name. Yeah, it's it's one of the worst contracts, if not the worst contract in the NBA right now. It's Nick Batum. Uh, he he's not a scorer. He's in his 30s. He's at the point where, you know, the Blazers used to utilize him in a way where they would have him defending opposing point guards and really harassing them with his length. He doesn't have the speed or quickness to do that anymore. He's just he's logs too many miles. He's starting to get over the hill. It, it's like it's hard find a way that you can utilize Batum other than just a guy who moves the ball runs a little bit of pick and roll and like that's that's it if he was your third guy like that that's probably the idea like he can't be your second guy I think he's shown that and then this of course comes um, with the caveat that he was dealing with injuries at the beginning of the season and and the way he was kind of uh, complaining about how his elbow was feeling uh, in the middle of the year when he first came back maybe he rushed back too quickly from it but his efficiency has been on the downswing basically since he arrived in charlotte yep. so i'm with you there who who is your most likely player to be traded for this team and i think that's a fascinating question it really is and i have i have two answers for you yes I and love multiple answers all right so the first one would be kemba walker with an asterisk i i think kemba walker is probably the best contract in the league just in terms of how much value you get out of one player based on what you put, you pay him. But the Hornets should only consider trading Walker if they can offload Nick Batum or Marvin Williams, Kid Gilchrist, Zeller, and something else. Like if they if it's going to give them a complete reboot of their cap situation, they get picks, they get rid of some of those awful contracts that are on the books. That's the only time they could they should consider trading Kemba Walker. They should not trade him in a deal that doesn't include Batum or Williams or something. Yeah, and I would even take it one step further for them. Unless you're going to get like a really good first or a first or, or a prospect as part of the deal, it should be Batum that's getting moved with Kemba yeah. Walker because Kid Gilchrist yep. and Williams, as we both discussed, there's a chance they turn into assets, um, mm-hmm. or at least they could be. Maybe they're they're going to be let's say above market value, but slightly above market value. You know, you can turn into like the Pistons, and that's terrible. But like those guys aren't 
again, unless you're getting a premier piece, and yes, then it's a bonus to get rid of one of them. Uh, otherwise, I, I think it's Batum. Like, get attach him to Batum, and let's get this reset started because there's a chance, uh, particularly next year, that one or this summer, one of Marvin Williams or Kid Gilchrist, if not both, can be used without needing to attach an asset to them. Yep, and the second player I would I would list is Jeremy Lamb, just because I think that uh, I'm I'm on the I, I just think you sell high on a guy like Lamb right now. Like I've seen him for this is what his fifth or sixth career season, and I feel like I've seen this time and time again where he goes to a new place, shows some flashes of offensive potential, and then just really plateaus there. So I'd I'd want to get out of that deal now, and uh, I think there's enough teams around the league that need help on the wings and will be willing to give up a decent young asset in order to get him. Hundred percent with you there. Uh, he would be he's the guy that you would move and you can move if they're going to commit. You know if we so if we see a Kemba Walker trade, there should absolutely then be a Jeremy Lamb trade Lamb trade separately because mm-hmm. all of a sudden he's you know he's not Tyreek Evans, he's not Lou Williams, but that's like it's kind of that same vein. Like there's this cheap guy, you don't have to worry about paying him this summer. So he would be to me, he I think you could argue he would be most likely to be traded, but it almost seems like his fate would be attached to Kemba Walker's. And that's why I have him as the most likely player to be traded despite what Michael Jordan might say. My trade for them involves getting rid of Kemba Walker. I for you to consider or just rebuke completely. The Hornets get Ron Baker from the Knicks, who is out for the season and has a player option for next year worth, I think, $4.4 million. Uh, Ennis Cantor comes off the books after next year. Doug McDermott, restricted free agent this year. And the Knicks' 2018 first-round pick, and they will give the Knicks Walker, Batum, and Julian Stone. If I am New York, I would not be trying to trade for Kemba Walker at all. So I just want to make that I'm not this is not an endorsement. I'm just saying the Knicks are a team that are short-sighted enough to go after him and <laughs> I I could see them doing it. I if they want Frank Nielakina also as part of this deal, I'm walking away. Your your incentive and the way you would if you're any team, but for the Knicks specifically, the way you spin this deal is saying, "Look, we only gave up a first-round pick. Yes, it's probably going to be in the lottery cuz I don't know that Kemba gets you to the playoffs, but we got Kemba Walker in return. And yes, Nicholas Batum is overpaid. But you know what? We're not going to have a ton of cap space anyway because we decided to give Joakim Noah money and we decided to pay Tim Hardaway Jr. money. Um, that would be how, if they want a Neil Aquina, the Hornets as well, which I'm sure they do, I would walk away. It would have to be one or the other for me. And if I'm the Hornets, I'd probably rather have the first-round pick just because Neil Aquina's rookie season's already burned through and you want the extra cost-controlled asset. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, it's just... You're exactly right. That would be so short-sighted of the Knicks and so classic Knicks to try to make a deal like that. We're absorbing Batum because I, I think they're they're in a position to really grow a lot internally. And we'll touch on the Knicks probably you know, in the next literally thirty seconds right, actually. Yeah, yeah, right after this. But <laughs> if I'm if I'm Charlotte, I'm thinking um, I, I would want packages from from teams that have decent young players already on their roster that I would get back in return. So, like, if Denver were to ever call about Kemba Walker's availability, I would I'd love to try to take on a guy like Jamal Murray and offset the possibility of taking in a first-round pick. Um, you know, I, I think a dark horse here because I just I always love the way that the organization thinks outside the box. Maybe the Utah Jazz. Um, you know, it's again more of a, a longer-term type of move if you think you can do something with Kemba next year and then keep him long term but I mean would you if 
if you're Charlotte, would you take back Rubio and a first and Rodney Hood? Um, I probably would. Yeah, I think I would. You know, actually, so I so I had a write about Kemba Walker trades when the rumor first came out. I don't know if I would do that deal independently just because Rodney Hood you have to worry about paying after this yeah. year. Yeah. Would you do if you were the Jazz? He would be my counter. And I ran mm-hmm. this past Andy Bailey at the time, and he said yes. Derek Favors, Rodney Hood, Ricky Rubio, who is now his, – his contract is a burden to them. And your 2018 first, you could probably put some protection on it, let's say top eight. And then you get Batum and Kemba Walker. And Batum and Rudy Gobert together, it's yep. a different player because he's now all of a sudden he's your – he could be your third ball handler because you have Joe Ingles – your fourth ball handler, Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, Kemba Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the Jazz aren't in the business of – eating salary and Batum is just he's owed almost a hundred million dollars including this year over the next four but that would be super interesting yeah and if there's any team I would trust to like rehabilitate and and get the most out of a veteran like Batum it would be the Jazz um and yeah I I, I would I would do that if I'm Utah too Uh, Charlotte you have to pull the trigger on on that trade if you get uh, again a good young player and and a good draft pick out of getting out of the Nick Batum trade. You got to do it. Another dream team for me with Kemba would be the Spurs. Yeah, I hear that a lot too. I, I mean, if obviously you, we'd, lo- we'd love to see that. I built a four-team deal, and I don't want to read it because um, <laughs> it's just so long. But if you were the Hornets, and this is what you ended up with, the four teams are uh, Dallas, Charlotte, Milwaukee, and San Antonio. And if you were Charlotte, would, would you take Kyle Anderson, Rudy Gay, Javante Murray, Mirsa Toledovic, both him and Gay come off the books after next year. Gay could even opt out after this season if he's not happy in Charlotte. A 2018 first via San Antonio and then a, a second via San Antonio. Is that enough for you to get rid of Michael Carter-Williams, Batum, and Kemba Walker? A lower-end first-round pick this year. You have Murray. We have Murray. Anderson. You know, We yeah. don't know what the restricted free agent market's going to yield for him. I would, tr- I would trust... Uh, the Spurs to be, I know, but this wouldn't be their style. Their their last time they made a trade in the middle of the season was February 2014, the great right. Nando for Austin Day swap. <laughs> um, but I, if you were Charlotte, is that enough? You're getting rid of Batum in the deal for me. I know you maybe you have to let Kyle Anderson walk or pay him, but yeah. Murray and a first and even I, I would consider it. That's a lot of salary relief for them. Yeah, I. You know what? I'd probably try to to take. Um... Jeez, oh, that's tough. Instead of Rudy Gay, I might try to take Patty Mills. I know it's a longer term deal, but uh, I like I like Patty or even Danny Green. Uh, just... yeah, I'm like I had Danny Green off limits in this deal because with Quiet out, I feel like they need the yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, so the Mills thing is interesting because I wasn't sure that Charlotte would view him as an asset, but would they want him? And I guess they probably want Kyle Anderson. But if they're willing to take him instead of Rudy Gay, that's probably. I would imagine not something the Spurs really balk at. Yeah, it's just it, I don't know. I always am cognizant about trying to take a first round pick from the Spurs just because it's pretty much perennially going to be in the twenty five to thirty range. And if you get that, and then two and a half years of Dejounte Murray, I I don't know if that's quite enough value. I think I, I'm so every time I've done a Kemba Walker trade, I think you're looking at it from the correct perspective. I'm hung up on even if you move Kemba Walker and get these young guys like to just have Batum still on the books. So like my mindset is if you're the Hornets, like it's a Batum and Walker trade. 
And like mm-hmm. that's just get rid of that, get what you can, and then move from there. So I think that's where I'm kind of looking for it, whereas right. you're – and I think you're looking at it the correct way too because if you are going to rebuild, then maybe, all right, so we have Batum. We could trade him in two or three years, and we're not trying to win in two or three years anyway. So uh, you, right. could, you could keep him. Right. Um, we do move on to the Knicks now. Uh, they are 23-30, and 30, 10th place in the Western Conference. Uh, they are actually getting waxed as we speak. So, you know, they're going to be 23-31, and 31, and hopefully they realize that they should be sellers at the trade deadline. But as you and I have both said, they are the Knicks. So you cannot count on that even a little bit. The only untouchable player I have for them is Kristaps Porzingis. I want to put Frankie Lakina in it, but... I just I'm trying to look at it from their perspective. There's no way I believe that he's untouchable to them, just because they don't even they give Trey Burke minutes over him, they give Jared Jack minutes over him. I I just can't see them viewing him as untouchable. Yeah, yeah. I, I it's it's a little bit strange. I know he has a, a large development curve ahead of him, but I mean I think right now the Knicks are are still a little bit delusional with whether they think they're a, a team that can make the postseason this year. You can take the little bit out of there. They're flat out okay. delusional. They're, they're delusional. Yep. They, do, they do have, if they were willing to sell to me, they have a bunch of interesting assets. You have Willie Hernan Gomez, who mm-hmm. you're probably better off keeping because he's young and he's Kristaps Porzingis' BFF. Uh, Courtney Lee, three years, $36.8 million. That's probably a deal that's around market value. and He's done a lot of stuff off the dribble this year. Uh, he's hitting a lot of his floaters. Uh, they have him running. He runs more pick and rolls than Patty Mills this year, which I found interesting. Um, and I wow. really, I, yeah. yeah, I really like him. Uh, Doug McDermott restricted in 2018. He he's like he's not. I'm not making a comparison to Kyle Korver. Yes, he's like a three point specialist, but his release isn't anywhere near as quick as Korver's. But you watch him on defense. He tries so hard, and it just it, it never works out because he just where Kyle Korver's just old now. Like Doug McDermott just doesn't have the physical tools to be a good defender. Yeah. Bless uh, his little heart. Yeah, um, Frank Nielkina who I really like. I actually think that was a great pick uh, by Phil Jackson's crew. Kylo Quinn, who is really good. Two years, $8.4 million, $4.3 million player option this summer. That I don't. Everyone says he's going to opt out, and maybe he will. I don't think we can guarantee that with the big man market. He might want to roll the dice on 2019. Either way, the team that gets him will have full bird rights. Lance Thomas, uh, who I think is solid, can defend some uh, bigger wings. Doesn't do much offensively, but if you can stick him in the corner and have him shoot threes, he'll be fine. Three years, $21.4 million, And then just a $1 million guarantee in that final year, 2019, 2020. Yep. Their best salary matching assets, the injured Ron Baker at two years, $8.9 million because, yes, they needed to give him the full room exception with a player option, mind you. So he has his $4.5 million player option next year that he will definitely be picking up. Tim Hardaway Jr., Four years, $71 million, $19 million play option for 2021. That is still one of the worst deals signed over the offseason. I want to make that clear to our listeners that even if you believe he's exceeding expectation, that does not equate to being worth $71 million. And do not use the argument that he's been injured for most of this year because durability is a part of value. Please and thank you. Uh, Enos Cantor, two years, $39.2 million, $8.16 million player option for next year. I know there were reports that teams were interested in him. I don't actually see him as an asset, though, um, and maybe you disagree there. And then I have um, – I won't even ask you because I'm just going to say the toughest player to move for them is Joakim Noah, three years, $55.6 million. Yeah, that, that's not even up for debate, especially with Noah, like, outwardly not wanting to be part of the team. Like, it's just – that's red flag territory. My favorite report. And it came from, I believe it was Woj, maybe it was Ian Bagley, uh, yeah. one of them over at ESPN.com, that the Knicks want to move Joe Kino without giving up any substantial young assets, be it picks or prospects. 
Yep, this ain't 2012 anymore, guys. You can't do that. Yes, um, and then there was also a report from Steve Kyler at Basketball Insiders that they would be willing to give up this year's first-round pick to move him. Interesting because it's going to be a lottery pick, and uh, if you're a team, that could be super intriguing, especially if, if the Knicks are going to sell. But if you're giving up Noah, you're probably not going to sell later. I'm not even sure a top-10 pick for me is enough to swallow Joakim Noah. If, it, if no. you could tell me it was going to be top 10, would you do it? I wouldn't if I was another general manager. Name the team. I wouldn't do it. If I'm Chicago, I wouldn't do it. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it at all. I, I, nope. Um, I'm going to move before we get to the most likely player to be traded because I think there's probably some interesting names there. The trade I have, though, if they want to get rid of Joakim Noah, uh, is, and I have the Hornets involved here again, you trade the Hornets, Enos Cantor, who we know comes off the books after next year, Doug McDermott, who you can keep or he's expiring, Joakim Noah, Frank Nielakina, and then the 2018 first-round pick. You could make it unprotected. I would probably try getting top three protection on it just in case. And then if you're the Knicks, you have to get eat Nicholas Batum and MKG, take on Julian Stone, and you get Kemba Walker. Is that the – I don't think the Knicks should do this deal. And maybe they're not even giving up enough to get rid of Joe Noah. but do you think that this is probably the type of framework that they would have to look at to move Joe Noah in general? Yeah, it's 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 tough to me to think about trying to to trade a first round pick if, if I'm the next right now. Like that's probably the type of deal and the framework that they need in order to to get rid of Joakim Noah, uh, where you're essentially swapping shitty salary with him in the tomb, and then you're you're getting a, a really good point guard and a guy like Kemba Walker. Like that's probably the dream scenario for the Knicks with that. But uh, I just I really worry just based on the structure of their roster right now and. Wanting to build around Chris Depp's Porzingis, I don't love the thought of getting rid of a, a high-value first-round pick this year in what's probably going to be a, a really top-heavy draft. I'm totally with you right there. Who would be your most likely player to be traded for them? It's got to be like one of Kyle O'Quinn or Willie Hernan Gomez. Um, I think you have to like you have five centers essentially on your roster, and five guys that are are best served being at that position. You have to try to to get rid of one of them and get a little bit more roster balance moving forward, uh, especially since none of them are going to be free agents at the end of the year. I think O'Quinn has a player option, but um, again, even if he is and he leaves, you want to get something out of him. So I would I would definitely look at trading O'Quinn. The rational choice would be, if you're the Knicks, would be O'Quinn, right? You trade the 27 going on 28-year-old as opposed to the 23-year-old under a rookie-scale deal, but we know they're the Knicks. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's probably the way to the way to do it. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Five-hour tea with caffeine from Green Tea Leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. 
caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural sight from the makers of 5-Hour Energy. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com.